So you got to deliver first. Yeah, you got to deliver first. Okay, I'm with you. That's the reason you keep dropping those little hints about referrals because you don't want them to forget. Now, so you wait until you deliver, and hopefully you got a happy client, and then you ask for that meeting. You ask for the meeting. All right, let's talk about how we do that exactly. That request is easy. Mike, you remember our conversation about referrals. You agreed that if I had done my job, that you would give me four or five referrals. And I think you'll agree that I performed very well. Yeah, you have. Well, let's set up the time. It's only going to take 15 or 20 minutes. It's going to be a short meeting. When would be good for you? So you set up the meeting. But you have to be aware that some clients, despite your best efforts, are going to show up at that meeting with no referrals for you. It's going to happen. Well, you don't want to walk away with no referrals. So during the course of the sale, you have been paying very close attention to who these people might know. You found out who their previous employers were, what organizations and associations they belong to, and you did a little bit of research, and you came up with a list of 15 or 20 people that you think they may know, that you know you want to be referred to. So you go into the referral acquisition meeting. If they have referrals for you, you get those referrals first. Now, what do you want to get from them? Everything you possibly can. It is crucial that you understand what the relationship between your client and that referred prospect is. All right, so you're there at the meeting, he's in front of you, and how do you open it up? How do you give them the expectations of what information you want? How would you word that? Mike, gosh, I appreciate you meeting with me today to give me the referrals. What I'd like to do is, as you give me each one of those names, I'd like to spend just two or three minutes talking about those folks, get a little bit of information that's going to help me when I talk to them. Is that all right? And you're going to say yes. And then he's going to say Joe Blow. And you're going to say, how long have you known Joe? Well, I've known Joe seven years. Oh, great. What kind of relationship do you all have? How do you know him? And you're just going to ask some questions. What you're looking to find out are a couple of things. First off, you want to know the relationship between the two in, in this sense. Most people assume that when they get a referral, they have a good referral, and that is not necessarily the case. People will give you referrals to people who know them and trust them. They'll give you referrals to people who are just acquaintances, and they will give you referrals to people who know them and don't trust or respect them. And you have to have an idea of which of those it is. Because if that prospect knows and trusts your client, some of that trust is immediately imbued to you. And you start that relationship with that referred prospect from a very strong position. If it is just an acquaintance who doesn't trust or distrust your client, you're starting that relationship basically as a warm call. If that prospect distrusts and disrespects your client, you're starting out in a negative hole because some of that distrust and disrespect is also going to be imbued to you. So are you only really looking for that first one? No. You can end up with great relationships with any of the three. You just have to know where you start. Okay. Simply because I think most of us have had the experience being referred to the rich father-in-law by the poor son-in-law. And we all get excited because, you know, my gosh, finally, we've got a referral to somebody with some really big bucks. And we call father-in-law and are blindsided to find out that he doesn't respect that marriage. You know, that there do well, I cannot believe he would even ask you to give me a call. I have no interest in talking to you. So if we know beforehand 
what dad in laws attitude is, we can change our approach and very possibly salvage that relationship. Now, it may be that some of those referrals to people that don't trust or respect our clients are so weak and the prospect themselves are so weak that we don't even want to bother with it. But certainly, any positive and any just acquaintance, we would certainly want to call. Even that worst of the worst negative referral, the most that can happen is they can say no. Now, there are ways to approach a prospect that will ease some of that negativity. And even with a strong referral, there are ways that are going to make a big difference in how successful you are with that approach. The tendency is just pick up phone columns. And that is one of the worst ways to make the approach to a referred prospect. Because when you call them, when you just pick up the phone and call them, you basically have to give the same introduction that you would if it were a cold call. Hi, my name is Paul. I'm with Associates. And by that time, that prospect has already had the opportunity to decide just another telemarketer and to mentally turn you off. And the last thing you want to do is to give them excuse to turn you off. So instead of just picking up the phone and calling, you want to preface that with a letter. And, of course, you can send a letter, but that's not going to be very effective. So you want the letter to come from your client, but you don't want your client to write the letter. Simply because, one, if you ask the client to write the letter, they're going to write it based on their schedule, which may be today, maybe tomorrow, maybe never. And secondly, clients have a really bad habit when they write a referral letter of saying something like, Michael met this guy by the name of Paul, think you ought to spend some time with him. And that's it. That's not going to move somebody to want to meet with you. So what you want to do is write the letter for your client on your client's letterhead. If you write it, you know what you've done for the client, so you can give some specifics. You've also asked a lot of questions about the prospect, so you should be able to give the impression of writing a personal letter from the client to the prospect. In that letter, you want to do a couple of things. You want to mention, as your client, I've asked Paul to give you a call this Thursday at 10.30. You want them to be expecting a call at a particular time, particular day, and you absolutely have to call at that time. And then the next sentence is, After you meet with Paul, I would really like your impression of him and his company because I really respect your opinion. Well, now you kind of put the prospect on the hook because his friend is expecting to hear back from him after he's met with you. Now, when you call the prospect Thursday at 1030, there's a very good chance they've not read that letter. And that's okay because you're going to lead off with that letter and your client. You're not even going to talk about who you are or what you do until you've captured their attention through bringing up your client. All right, how do you do that? What do you say? Hey, Mike, I'm glad I caught you. Richard so-and-so had sent you a letter, and I just wanted to check to see if you've gotten that letter yet. And, of course, he knows Richard so-and-so, and he's either going to say yes or no. And if he says yes, then great. I am really pleased that you've had the opportunity to read that. As Michael said, I do, and then you go into it. And if he says no then, oh, I'm sorry that you haven't had a chance to read that. Do you mind if I spend just a minute letting you know what Michael was trying to communicate? Well, everybody's going to say, no, go ahead. And then you can go into it. But you've got their attention because of the client's name. Now, it's important that you send the letter, even if they haven't read it, because many people, after they get off the phone, are going to go look for the letter. 
And if it's not there, only one of two things could have happened. Either it got lost in the mail, very unlikely, or you lied. And you don't want to get caught in a lie right off the Well, you don't want to get caught in a lie ever, but certainly not right off the bat. So even if they haven't read the letter, they better have it in their possession. Otherwise, it looks like you've lied. Some people will try to assume that, well, yeah, I really don't have to send the letter. All I have to do is refer to it. They're just setting themselves up to get caught. Now, if you've got a really good referral, good in the sense of this is somebody that you really want to meet, even if it's a negative referral in the sense that there's some distrust there, having your client call them while you're in their office is a much stronger way of being introduced. If it is a negative referral, it gives that referred prospect the opportunity to ask pointed questions about you and what you did for the client. That can alleviate a lot of negative feeling that that prospect might have. The other thing it gives is the opportunity for you to be introduced to that prospect and for you to ask for the appointment. It is very, very difficult for a prospect to say no when the client's on the line with you. So you're virtually guaranteed of a meeting. If you'd like to power up your business by harnessing the power of referrals, go to www.referralmarketingtipsandsecrets.com. That's referralmarketingtipsandsecrets.com. How would you word that to your client to propose that idea to pick up the phone and let's call some of your referrals? How would you say that? I say, Mike, this is really great. I really appreciate these referrals. And this one, Joe Blow, I would really, really like to meet him. Would it be okay if we called him right now? And they're going to say, sure, I'll call him. Now, the key is you don't want him to call Joe Blow unless you're in the office with him. It's crucial that you know what is being said. So this is really kind of a one-shot opportunity because if he can't get a hold of Joe while you're in the office, the likelihood that you can reschedule a meeting for that purpose is probably not very good. But if you can get a hold of him, that is an extremely strong referral and introduction. Let's say he says, sure, we're going to call him. Does your client know what to say, or do you help coach him to tell him what to say, or what? I would coach him a little bit in the sense of, you know, I would just like you to really kind of introduce me and let him know a little bit about what I did for you or what I did for your company then if he has any questions, he can ask. And before we get off the phone, I would like to see if I might be able to set an appointment with him. And usually that's enough. It's generally a pretty low-key conversation in the sense of, you know, he calls, they chat for a couple of seconds, and then he says, you know, Joe, I would really like you to meet Paul. This is what he did for me. Well, hi, Paul. How you doing? I'm doing just great. I think you really should meet with Paul. We had talked a couple of months ago. You said that you had had the same problem. I think you really ought to meet with him. And at that point, I would say, Joe, when would be a good time just to spend 15 minutes together, just to see if there's anything that might work? Well, he's pretty well in a box at that point, and he pretty well has to come up with the time. That conversation typically doesn't last more than four or five minutes. But I had the opportunity to be introduced. I don't have to pick up the phone and call. I had my client do it for me. I had a 90% sure chance of getting that appointment. Now, if it's somebody I would even be more interested in meeting, I would ask the client if he would call Joe and invite him to lunch with the three of us. Now, you can only generally do that with one at the most 
two referrals for any one client because they're not going to make a career out of going to lunch with you. So you take the absolute best ones that you have. Most prospects will agree to meet for lunch. And when you meet them for lunch, you get to show up not as a salesperson, but as you're the consultant. You're just there to give advice. Your client actually acts as your salesperson for you. And again, as lunch comes to a close, you ask for that private meeting, and it's virtually impossible for the prospect to say no. Many times, you don't even talk that much during the course of lunch because your client is giving all the background and all the information for you. And you want to keep your mouth shut. You want your client to be singing your praises, and you don't want to interrupt that. And then finally, there is the possibility of inviting your client and the prospect to some event, a sporting event, an industry event, some event. Those get to be a little trickier only in the sense that the perceived cost of the event has to be in line with your product and pricing. If it appears to be too cheap, then you look chintzy. If it appears to be too expensive, people begin to wonder just how much are they paying you and just how much are you making. So there has to be a real alignment of what it appears that the event costs with the cost and value of your product or service. But if it works, if you can get them to an event, you're pretty well guaranteed that you're going to go a long ways in that sales process. You may not end up with the sale, but you're going to have an absolute shot at getting their business. Can we do another story of one of your clients? Sure. A gentleman by the name of Alex Yenman. He is a securities investment broker out of San Francisco. And Alex has been in business for about nine years now, I guess. And he's been kind of a middle-of-the-road producer. He has his good months. He has his bad months. Nothing out of the ordinary, but certainly not bottom of the barrel by any stretch. He gets his clients pretty much as you would expect in the financial services industry. He still does a lot of cold calling, sends out a lot of direct mail, gets a few clients here and there from his company's advertising. And every once in a while when he's really desperate, he'll go raid the orphan files and see if he can resurrect an orphan account that the company had. His primary method of prospecting over the years really has been cold calling. He's tried referrals, and he asked for referrals before he and I started working together, but like most salespeople, he got a name here or a name there, and most of them were pretty crappy, and he got a few sales here and there from referrals. When he and I started working together, and we've been working together for, oh, just under a year, he was somewhat reluctant that referrals could actually work for him simply because of the industry he was in. This time last year, the financial markets were extremely strong. Every financial advisor out there, no matter how bad, was making money for their clients because everybody was making money. And he was finding it very, very difficult, like most financial advisors, to get clients to move from where they are to a new advisor. Cold calling certainly wasn't getting him very far. Most of the clients that he was getting from cold calling were either people about to retire who were looking to roll over an IRA or people who had very small amounts of money to invest. The larger clients, he was getting absolutely nowhere with. We started him on two programs. One was referrals and the other was networking. On the networking, I had him 
join a physician's association as an affiliate member, and he began attending those association meetings. He went basically to give free advice to these doctors on how they might be able to set up retirement plans for their employees. He was not talking to them about their own investments. He waited until they brought the subject up. Over the course of about six months, he began to pick up some business from those physicians. At the same time, I had him go back to all of his existing clients and introduce them to the idea that he was converting his business to referral-based. He did not go back to them and ask for referrals immediately. The first thing he did was sent everybody a letter informing them that his business had now grown to the point where he was converting to a referral-based business just introduced the idea of referrals, just like if he had just first met a prospect. And then over the next 60 days, he sent them two more communications, one more letter and an email, and followed up with a phone call. The two letters and the email were almost identical. The first one was, I'm converting to a referral-based business. Did he give a reason why? Yeah, his business had grown to the point where he needed to concentrate on his clients instead of concentrating on prospecting. The second was an email, and that email was simply a re-emphasis of the first with the last paragraph saying, and I want to thank all of my clients that had begun to send me referrals. Well, at that point, he hadn't gotten any. All he was doing was implanting in their mind that, oh, people are giving him referrals. Then the third letter came, and it was, at this point, more along the lines of, if you know of anyone, I would love to hear about them. It was not quite asking for referrals, but it was very close to it. And then he followed up with the phone call, and the phone call was much more direct. It was basically a modified version of that conversation that he would have with a client after the client converted from prospect to client. It was a much more direct, I'm looking for referrals to people just like you, da-da-da-da-da. But he had to go through the process of introducing the concept of being referral-based because If he just picked up the phone and said, Mike, all of a sudden I'm a referral-based salesperson, they're going to be kind of like, well, hold it. When did that happen? So he had to introduce the concept slowly, just like he would with a prospect, before he came right out and said, this is what I'd like. Now, obviously, with his client database, he couldn't go through the sales process and earn the referrals, so he had to ask outright. But he had to prepare them before he actually called and asked for them. He also because he had files on all of these people. For a number of them, he knew who their past employers were, certainly knew who their current employers were. Many of them he knew some personal data about. So when he called, he might have a list of five or six or seven names of people that he knew he wanted to be referred to that they might know. And generally, if you go into a referral acquisition meeting and you have a list of 15 or 20 people that you think your client may well know, and these are people you know you want to be referred to, they are probably going to know somewhere between five and eight of those people. And they will probably, if you've done a good job and you've earned your referrals, they will agree to refer you to them. So if they had four referrals for you and they knew six of the people on your list, you will out with ten referrals instead of four. If they had none and they knew six on your list, you walk out with six instead of none. Well, with your past clients, you can do the same thing. Now, since you have not made it your business to understand who they know, you're probably going to have a smaller list. Instead of 35 people, 
you may only have a list of five to ten, but they will probably know three or four of those people. So you can probably still come out with four referrals. And if you have a database, let's just say it's a small database of 75 clients, and you can go and get two referrals from each one of those 75, that's 150 referrals. And if your conversion rate's only 33%, that's still 50 new clients without having a cold call, without having the direct mail, without having to advertise, without having to network. That's not bad. Then you take those 50 new clients and you introduce them right up front to the concept of being referral-based and getting referrals. And you take those 50 clients and let's assume you only get four referrals from each of them. Well, that's 200 referrals. And again, assuming a 33% conversion rate, well, now you got 70 new clients. So it can grow very, very quickly. So what has happened to his business over the last 10 months? He has now increased his income for this year. is a little over 45% higher than it was last year. And it may grow even more simply because of this. His business has grown about 45% this year based on referrals. However, over the last month, his business is in the course of a lot of turmoil. This is the perfect time for him. The market has been very unstable. That is excellent for him. When investors are uneasy, their reaction is to run away from where they are. Now, there's not a rational reasoning that goes through their mind about where they're going to go. Where they're going to go is immaterial. They just want to get away from where they are. So consequently, it opens up a great number of doors for him because a lot of investors that would never have thought of moving firms and moving advisors a year ago are more than happy to talk about it today because anything's better than where they're at. This time last year, his market was driven by greed. Today, it's driven by fear. So his income may actually increase substantially even between now and the end of the year because not only has he injected referrals that are having a big impact on his income and his business, but he's injected it at just the right time when his particular prospects are scared to death. So would you say that would be consistent for my HMA consultants who are doing consulting for business growth? Yeah, because what's going to happen, unfortunately, these credit markets are going to percolate throughout the economy. At first, my gosh, it was the mortgage market, and then that affected the stock market. Well, that's also beginning to affect business and consumer loans. It's beginning to affect leasing agreements. It's beginning to affect everything. And as it affects everything, it's going to put more and more maybe not real pressures, but fears on businesses. And one of the things that I've been preaching this for two years, and it hasn't done a lot of good, but for the past few years, the economy has been very, very good. And a lot of salespeople have found it to be an excellent selling environment. But we're about to see that change. And as that changes, the excellent selling environment is going to become a difficult selling environment. And people need to be preparing themselves now for that difficult environment that's ahead. And the best way to prepare is through the best prospecting method there is, and that's referrals. 
because historically, those top producers that generate the majority of their business through referrals find a difficult selling environment to be not much of a pain at all. Whereas the rest of us who are still having to rely on direct mail or advertising or cold calling or whatever find a difficult selling environment not only to be difficult, but for many of us it simply puts us out of business. Those people that have insulated themselves from the fluctuations of the economy are those that generate their business based on referrals, based on relationships. And now is the time, actually a year ago, two years ago, but now is still the time to prepare for that because it's coming. Yeah, maybe next month, maybe six months from now, maybe a year, maybe two years, but it's coming. The economy's not going to stay like this forever. And unfortunately, it looks like it's going to be sooner than later. Let's do another case study like we've been doing. This one is a little different in the sense that we got to play with his name. He's a realtor, and he is out of Chicago. His name is Stuart Little, and he is a realtor. He's been in business for four years. Typical average realtor. He closed about one house a month, made like $50,000 in 2006. He never could figure a way to really make selling real estate work for him. He'd done just enough to stay in the business for four years. When he called me, what we did was we took a two-prong attack. One was referrals, but the second was we targeted a specific market for him. And what we targeted were young families moving from their first home to their second home. We chose that particular market for a very specific reason because of his name, Stuart Little. Young families moving from their first home to their second home have children. Every kid in the world knows the name Stuart Little because of the mouse. Right. They will bug mom and dad. They want to go see Stuart Little. Stuart becomes the realtor, if for no other reason than by default, to shut the kids up. So his target market were those young families moving from their first home to their second home. And at the same time, we instituted the referral process. He went back to all of his existing clients, letting them know not only was he now referral-based, but he had a very specific niche market that he was looking to work in. When he called these people, he ended up getting a boatload of referrals because all of these people knew one or two or even more people family, friends, acquaintances, co-workers who were young families needing or looking to move. So he had a ton of names to call. Most of them ended up over the course of the last year, not most of them, many of them over the course of the last year, selling their home and moving. But once he got in the door and had the opportunity to introduce himself, and not surprisingly enough, he knew how many kids these people had, and he brought each one of the kids a little Stuart Little doll. Mom and Dad were hooked. They had no choice but to use him as their realtor because the kids wouldn't let them use anybody else. His business now, he has gone from last year averaging one house a month in closing to this month, He's got four closings. For the year, to date, he has closed 30 homes. Wow. Well, he'll probably slightly more than triple his business this year simply by focusing on that target market and then generating the referrals to that target market. That's perfect. And I bet he's having a lot more fun. Oh, he's having a great time. You know, when you're making money, it's always great. 
when he sees his income going from 50000 struggling to 150000 then he's a happy camper. But he's also happy because he feels like he is contributing not only to his family with an increased income, but he feels like he's contributing to a very specific segment of the market that he can relate to. He's about 32 himself. So he fits right in with that market. He is that market. Let's do another story. Can we talk about another one? Sure. Let me take a lady from a totally different perspective. A lady's name is Andrea Carson. She's out of Wichita, Kansas. And of all things, she sells ladies' cosmetics part-time through home parties. Very frustrated because she was in a business that basically she gets absolutely no help from her company. Is it MLM or like an Avon direct sale? It's like an Avon deal. So the company sells her the products at wholesale, and she goes and sells them at retail. But she has to buy everything. She buys the products. She buys the brochure. She buys everything. And competition's pretty tough. Now, admittedly, she only works part-time, but her best month was $800 profit. And she was trying to figure out whether or not this was even worth her time and effort. She was bugging her family and friends. Yeah, we have a party, we have a party, we have a party. And, of course, family and friends were just really beginning to get tired of it. She called me in April. So we've been working together about five months, going on six now. I had her take a bit of a different approach, that instead of going to her family and friends and asking them if they would host a party, I had her go to them and simply ask them if they knew of anyone that might be interested in her product. Well, most of them, of course, didn't. But two of them did. She was introduced to these two people, and she took the idea of learning everything she could about these people and coming up with a list of people these ladies might know and seeing if they knew them. Well, she made her sales. They were both small sales to these two ladies. But while she was talking to them, she found that one of them belonged to a ladies' business group and that the other one belonged to a ladies' cycling group. And she found the membership directories for both of these organizations. And when she sat down with these two ladies, she basically just went through the whole membership directory. Ended up from these two ladies alone with over 80 referrals. Took those 80 referrals and basically has done the same thing. She still only works part-time, just a few more hours than she used to work. But last month, her income wasn't $800, it was 3000 she has had almost a 500% increase in her business in five months, part-time. That's incredible. What's important is how she generated that business by simply finding out who these people might know and asking about them. That very simple process generated almost a 500% increase in her income. And people forget sometimes who they know. Sometimes they don't realize that this person over here would really be somebody that you would like to be introduced to. So if you can help them. Sometimes you don't even have to come up with a specific name. For instance, I have one gentleman who is an insurance agent, sells health insurance. Despite all of my efforts, I cannot get him to investigate who these people know. But I can get him to prompt them. For instance, one of his clients is a gentleman who restores antique jaguars. So I at least got him to the point of saying, when he's asking for referrals, of, well, can you think of anyone in the jaguar club? 
Or can you think of any of the suppliers or vendors or other technicians that you work with that might be able to use health insurance? Those memory joggers generate business for you. Now, honestly, they don't generate as much business as if he would just look up the Jaguar Club and find out who the members are. But it does generate more than just letting the guy say no, or in this case, he got three referrals. He ended up with seven because he gave the guy some memory joggers. Well, he says that he's uncomfortable bringing up specific names. Personally, I think he's just too lazy to do the investigation. But at least he'll jog the memory of his clients and that alone helps him get more business. And that's all Andrea did. That was the important part of Andrea's story. She got five times as much income because she took the time to look up who the members of these two organizations were and go over them with her clients. You work on referral only. And before you take a client, what criteria do you lay down before you'll accept someone as a client based on a referral? Basically, my criteria is fairly simple. Before I work with somebody, we end up with about an hour to an hour and a half conversation. And during that conversation, we have to understand two things. We have to understand what each one of us is looking for and what each one of us can get out of the relationship. If I believe I cannot help them, I'm not going to work with them, simply because I don't want that reflecting back on my reputation. If they are not willing to accept advice and guidance, I'm not going to work with them because then the process isn't going to be successful. If they have unrealistic expectations, I'm not going to work with them. Now, depending upon what they call me for, whether they want me to work with them on referrals or whether they want me to work with them on personal marketing and image building, depends upon what my criteria is. If they want me to work with them in terms of building a referral-based business, then they really do have to literally agree to learn and follow the process because the process works. And if they want to deviate from it, it's not going to work. So if they're not coachable and teachable and they're not going to follow the process, there's no sense of even going forward. If they want me to work with them in terms of image and reputation building, then we have to have something solid to work with. There has to be some level of expertise there. Now, unfortunately, the experts that are quoted in the paper are not, by any stretch of the imagination, technically the best in their field, but they're all competent. So in order to become known as an expert, you have to be at least competent. So I look for coachability, someone who is competent in what they do, and someone I can get along with, because I don't want to spend my time working with somebody frankly, that I don't like. From their perspective, they should be looking for someone who has the knowledge and experience to help them get where they want to go, that they can work with, meaning that they get along with and like, and someone who understands their business. Now, that doesn't mean that they have to have been in their business, but it means there are a lot of sales coaches out there that have never sold in their life very difficult to teach someone and to coach someone how to sell when you haven't done it. So they should be looking for somebody who's been in their shoes and knows what it is that they're facing. If they are committed to making the change, they have the competence in their field and are coachable and we get along, we have a basis to begin working. 
I think a lot of people with a lot of the marketing on referral marketing out there believe that there's no work involved. But clearly, through these examples and these stories, there is some effort involved. Very much so. My experience is then there is nothing in sales that works that doesn't take effort. Now, there are a lot of books and stuff out there that promise, you know, get rich. You know, all you got to do is say these two words and everybody's going to close the deal. And unfortunately, my experience has been that's not the case. It does not take a tremendous amount of time. The most time-consuming portion of learning how to generate a large number of referrals takes place in the first three months when you're actually learning the process. Once it becomes second nature, it's easy. It just flows right into your normal sales process. But because the process is so foreign for most people, there's a lot of effort up front to get it to fit in within the sales process first and then to get comfortable doing it. And even then, it's not so much time as it is getting mentally prepared to do it. One of the things I've found with referrals is if you walk up to a prospect and you tell them, Mike, I'm referral-based and I expect referrals, if they don't believe you, you're not going to get referrals from them because they, yeah, 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 right, just a bunch of hot air. You have to be believable in order for them to buy that claim that you just made. But in order to be believable, you have to believe it yourself. So there is a time when you have to convert your own internal belief system so that even before you are referral-based, you have to believe that you are referral-based. Basically, you have to act the part to become the part. You have to act like a referral-based salesperson to become a referral-based salesperson. But you also have to believe it in order to make it true, too. Do you have to live it? Let's say you hang your hat up and you say, I am referral-based only, and you get a call that is not a referral. How do you handle that? That introduction that we talked about at the very beginning. Yeah. Mike, you know, I appreciate you calling me. I normally only work with clients that have been referred to me, but I've got some time right now. Let's see if I might be able to help you with your problem. It'd be silly to deny and say, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I'm referral-based. Sure. You'll never turn away business, but you have to have a reasonable explanation of why you're referral-based, but you're willing to accept a non-referred client. And that is because, you know, I just happened to have the time. Or I ran across your name and thought I would give you a call. You know, whatever the reason is, there just needs to be a reason as to why you would step out of that. And basically what happens, there is a dynamic that happens when you proclaim yourself to be referral-based. Your proclamation of being referral-based should be on everything. It should be on your business card, in any direct mail that you do, on your letterhead, in any ads that you place. Everything should say that you're referral-based. And let me give you an example of what happens when you do that. Your proclamation of being referral-based needs to be strong, not something weak like I heart referrals or referrals make my day, because all that communicates is that you appreciate the occasional referral. It needs to be something much more bold like client-centered referral-based or appointment by referral only, something very bold. But the last time I was in La Jolla, I forgot the name of that main street that you walk down with, love jewelry stores and antique stores and clothing stores, etc. But you walk down that street, and there are a few stores, primarily antique stores and jewelry stores, that have signs in the window that say, by appointment only. But when you look in those stores, there are always people in there. And what happens, because my wife and I did it too, 
you walk by and you say, well, I wonder what is so good in there that I have to have an appointment to see it. So you go back to the hotel and you call them and you make the appointment and you get in and you find out that 85% of the jewelry in there is the same stuff you could get at the mall, only priced twice as much. About 15% of the stuff is truly unique and priced so that no ordinary human could possibly afford it. But you end up buying something that is priced twice as much as you could buy it at the mall just so you can get the little box that has that jewelry store's name on it. There is an attraction that people want to work with, those who are exclusive. So when you proclaim yourself to be exclusive, more people want to work with you. There's a hesitancy on salespeople's part to do it for fear that they'll chase business away. And that's really not the case. There are a few clients, a few potential clients, a few prospects, who'll see that proclamation of by appointment only and not call. But there are going to be more people who might not have called who will call simply because you are that exclusive. It is a strange dynamic, but it works. It's just human nature. People want what they can't have. Right. That's the end of our interview and lessons on referral marketing. I hope you've enjoyed this presentation. And if you'd like more information on some of the services that Paul offers, please call him at 360-525-0203. That's 360-525-0203. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to power up your business by harnessing the power of referrals, go to www.referralmarketingtipsandsecrets.com. That's referralmarketingtipsandsecrets.com. S-E-C-R-E-T-S dot com. Referral Marketing Tips and Secrets dot com.